0: Let's get into this, and let's ask God uh, to uh, work in our hearts morning. Father, we come and surrender our minds and our hearts to you. We're about to look at your thoughts, your heart, your purposes. They're way beyond ours. Lord, we're about to look at uh, our salvation from your perspective. So, Father, we're going to need your help, and we need to surrender. And uh, be reminded that we're hearing from you and not just a man. We need to re- be reminded that you know better than we do, and so we just hupakua. We just place ourselves now under what we are about to hear. We will be Bereans, check it with our Bibles. But Lord, what is in Your Word we will affirm, and what is not we'll reject. But Lord, we will not add to it or subtract. God, I pray. Uh, that you would enable us to exalt and glorify you more for having uh studied this this morning, we pray this in jesus name amen all right we 're looking at unconditional election, and uh, I, I put a couple more uh, uh definitions of unconditional election there in your notes i 'm not going to read those for you i 'll let you read them. I do want you to note that this doctrine because it 's biblical it 's believed by Uh, various denominations, it's not uh, tied to one denomination, one group of people. There's uh, several uh, Baptists that are uh, in there, uh, theologians giving their definitions, Presbyterians, it crosses denominational lines. In fact, that last uh, definition that you have there that says the Baptist faith and message, that's the the official uh, doctrinal statement of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so you can read those, that's the doctrine. Uh, We we got started in this last week, but we didn't dive into the actual passage. So let's look at it this morning. And we want to see three reasons why God's saving promises to Israel have not failed. Remember in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, he says this, and this determines all three chapters in Romans, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. It is not as though the word of God has failed. Three reasons why God's saving promises to Israel have not failed, even though most Jews have rejected Jesus as their Messiah, and many Gentiles have. What's up with that? Has God's word veered off course? Paul says, no, no. And here's why. Three reasons. Reason number one. Because God does not fulfill his saving promise by physical birth. God does not fulfill his word of promise, his saving promise by physical birth. This is found for us in verses 6 through 9. So let's read that together and then we'll break it down. Notice what Paul says. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For, here's the explanation, here's the reason it's not failed. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Or that same word can also be translated called. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. What is he saying? He's saying that God's word has not failed because God does not fulfill his saving promise by physical birth. Now, the first thing you've got to keep in your mind is that's totally opposite of what the majority of Jews believed. The majority of Jews had gotten God's promises wrong and twisted them so that they thought that physical birth was the way God fulfilled his saving promises. In other words, if I was born a Jew, I'm in. In fact, I'm so in, the only way I can get out is I'd have to deny Judaism. Well, Judaism and being a Jew are, is like that. I, you know, to deny Judaism, I deny myself. I'm not going to do that. And so I'm saved. I was born a Jew. The only way I cannot be saved would be to deny my Judaism. I'm not about to do that. I'm in like Flint. Old expression. Here's the explanation. So now here's what he does. He, he, he offers an explanation and then he offers an example with two Old Testament quotes. And here's why he does that. And he's going to do it again. I believe the reason he gives two Old Testament verses is because the Bible says by two or three witnesses, a truth is confirmed. And so he's saying, here's what I witnessed to be true. And then he says, let me bring in another witness, an Old Testament verse, which would be important to who? To the Jews. And then he said, let me bring in the third witness. Now that we have three witnesses, this is a done deal. So here's what he does. He explains it. Then he gives an example from the Old Testament by quoting two Old Testament verses. So let's break it down. Here's the explanation. Very simple. Physical birth does not determine the true people of God. It's as true then as it is now. You don't get into the people of God because you're born to certain people. You're born in a certain country. You're born in a certain place. I'll never forget going to England When we first uh, took our team to England back in, I think, 98. And uh, I came to the uh, passport official and he said, why are you here? And I just told him the truth. We're here to work with our missionaries here in England. And he just got indignant and offended. And he said, well, don't you know we're a Christian country? What was he saying? We're born English. That means we're born Christian. All right. So this thinking is still around today. Let's look at the explanation. He says it three different ways. The first thing he says is not all Jews who are descended from physical Israel belong to spiritual Israel, the true people of God. That's in verse 6. He says not who all who are descended from Israel, that is, I can trace my lineage back through and I can show you I'm a Jew. Well, not all who are descended from Israel actually are Israel. Now, this is because in the Bible, there's three different kinds of Jews. And if you don't understand, you know, this is the key to understanding this passage. Three different kinds of Jews in the Bible. First of all, there's physical Jews. What's a physical Jew? A physical Jew who is is born physically a Jewish person, but who is unsaved. He's an unsaved Jew. That's a physical Jew. Then there are physical and spiritual Jews. How do you become a physical spiritual Jew? You're born physically a Jew, and you place your faith in Christ, spiritual, physical Jew. Then there's a third kind of Jew in the Bible, and that's a spiritual Jew, but not a physical Jew, and those are Gentiles who have placed their faith in Christ. So those are three kinds of Jews in the Bible, physical, unsaved Jews, spiritual, physical, saved Jews, spiritual Jews, Gentiles who are saved. John the Baptist had to remind the Pharisees that it's not physical birth that saves you when he says this in Matthew 3, 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Do you know what John said to him? For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. What is John saying? It doesn't mean anything who your daddy was. Because God can raise up children for Himself from this piece of dead wood. Now, what is He saying there? I think He's making two points there. He's making, first of all, God's not dependent on physical birth to have spiritual children. He doesn't need us born physically in order to get more people. I think the second thing He's saying there is children are born by God's spiritual power. In other words, I don't need you believing in me so that i can have people in my kingdom i can look at this dead piece of wood this hard piece of rock which by the way our believing hearts are hard rocks and i can speak and bring forth children i think that's very interesting so that's the first explanation look at the second explanation saying the same thing just a different way in verse seven not all jews who are the physical offspring of Abraham, are his spiritual children, the true people of God. So he's saying, look, just because you belong to Judaism, that's not enough. But also, just because you can say, I have descended from Abraham, I have Abraham's blood in my veins, that doesn't make you a spiritual child of Abraham. So Abraham, and we're going to see this in a moment, Abraham. Had physical kids, but he also had physical kids who were also spiritual kids. Remember, there's three kinds of Jews, right? So just because you, because he had kids through Sarah, Isaac, he had kids through his handmaiden Hagar, Ishmael, and then Keturah, he had a whole slew of kids through her. So just because you can trace your line back to Abraham and say, I'm his kid, that doesn't mean you're his spiritual kid. Look at verse 7. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Now, he Jesus had to rebuke the Jews of his day about this same thing in John 8, 37 through 41. I want you to turn there. Turn to John 8, 37. 41 we've already seen john the baptist had to correct the religious leaders about this now jesus is rebuking the pharisees he's saying the same thing paul's saying notice john 8 37 through 41 notice what he says there i jesus is speaking to the the pharisees and here's what he says the religious leaders of his day I know that you are offspring of Abraham. See, what's the number one thing they're always bragging about? You know, we, we're we God's people. Why? We're from Abraham. He says, I know you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Speak of what I have seen. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not do what you have heard, and you do what you have heard from your father. So he's saying, "Look, you say you're from Abraham, but I'm I'm saying what my father has said to me, and you're doing what your father has always done, establishing." There's two families. There's two fathers, and it ain't physical; it's spiritual. So notice what he says. Then they answered him, what are you talking about, "Dude, Abraham is our father." That's a little paraphrase. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, "If you." were abraham's children which means that they aren't you would be doing the works of abraham did but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that i heard from god this is not what abraham did you are doing the works of your your, work doing the works your father did who is we later he says it who is that satan Hey, here's what he's saying. If you were Abraham's children, when when God's word spoke to you, you would be like Abraham who believed God. Well, I'm speaking God's word to you, and you don't believe me. In fact, you want to kill me, and that just shows whose father you really are. So saying you're Abraham's kids doesn't mean you're Abraham's spiritual kids. Third point, verse 8. So he's driving this thing home, saying the same thing three different ways. Now he says in verse 8, not all Jews... Who are Now he just makes it very clear. Not all Jews who are Abraham's physical children are actually God's spiritual children. Not all Jews who are Abraham's physical children are actually God's spiritual children. Why? Because the true people of God are the children conceived by his saving promise. Let's look at it. See it in your Bible. Beginning with verse 7 again. Not all are children of Abraham because they, are his, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your, children, your offspring be named or called, verse 8. This means, okay, here's what that, that quote from Genesis, here's what it means. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted or reckoned as offspring. Now, Paul's already made this point in Romans. Turn back to Romans 2. Turn back in your Bibles, Romans 2, 28 through 29. Paul's already made the same point. That just because you're Abraham's physical kids doesn't mean you're God's spiritual kids. And he makes it in Romans 2, 28 through 29. Let's read what it says. For no one, that's pretty clear, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical but here's what a true jew is a jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letter his praise is not from man but from god and then in galatians 4:28-29 paul says this to us as gentiles now you brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. What he's saying is there was sibling rivalry. Any of you ever have conflict with your siblings? Little arguments there? Well, Ishmael and Isaac had conflict. And Ishmael, born of Hagar, Born of the flesh, born of unbelief, and an unsaved individual had conflict with Isaac, who was born of the promise. And he's saying that's the way it still is today. If you think about those two passages we just read, Romans 2 and Galatians 4, he talked about all three kinds of Jews there. Because he said, you're not one just because you are physically, that's the physical Jew, unsaved. But you are a true Jew who is one inwardly, a Jew who believes in Christ. And then he says to us in Galatians as Gentiles, you are children of promise. So all three kinds of Jews are addressed there. Okay, that's the explanation. Now he has offered an example from God's word. Let's look at the example. It's Isaac. Isaac is the chosen child of promise. Now, what's interesting is he quotes he quotes two Old Testament verses, Genesis 18, 10, and Genesis 21, 12. But it covers Genesis 12 to 21. He's covering 10 chapters with two quotes. Now, there's no way that I'm going to tell you the whole story of Genesis 12 through 21. I, I, you know, I can't tell you that whole story. But these two verses sum it up. That's why Paul quotes them. So let's look at it. Isaac was the child conceived by God's sovereign choice and saving promise through Sarah. We see that in the two quotes that he gives. Now, let's look at the quotes so that you see him in Scripture. He says in verse 7, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named or called. That is Genesis 18.10. Then he quotes again in verse 9. Look down at verse 9. For this is what the promise said, quote, about this time next year, I will return. That's God speaking. I will return and Sarah will have a son. That's Genesis twenty-one twelve. Here's how it breaks down. And we're going to work our way backwards from verse. Uh, uh, we're going to work our way from verse nine, verse eight, verse seven. And I have it in your notes. And here's what you want to see. Here's what God's saying. Isaac was conceived by God's sovereign power. Isaac was conceived by God's sovereign power. That's verse 9. About this next time, I will return. Here's what he's saying. And if you remember the story, why was it God's sovereign power? Abraham was too old to have kids. Sarah was barren and beyond the age of having kids. That's the double whammy. And Abraham didn't have anything to contribute to
1: the process either. He was too old. Well, there's only one way
0: that that's going to happen. Yes, man, Abraham and Sarah are going to have to get together and have sexual intercourse, but what's going to have to happen? God's going to have to provide a miracle, miraculous conception. Not a virgin conception, but a miraculous conception. And that's why he says, I will return. Who needs to show up if this kid's going to be born? God. He says, look, when I show up and in my power, it's going to happen. Number two, Isaac was born by God's sovereign promise. Isaac was born by God's sovereign promise. That's what verse 8 says. Children of the promise. Well, what was the promise? That I'll return and you will conceive, and so when the birth happened, the birth happened according to promise. If you look at verse eight, it says the children of promise are counted or reckoned as offspring. In Romans four three, Paul has already used this word reckon when he said this of Abraham: Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So when reckoned means or counted means. God says, look, the child that's born of promise is the child that I count, reckon, and consider to be the spiritual offspring, my offspring. The child that's born by my promise. Because was there another child born before this? Yes. Not according to promise, but according to flesh. We'll see that in a moment. Third thing that he says here. Isaac was chosen by God's sovereign purpose. So he was conceived by God's sovereign power. He was birthed according to God's sovereign promise, but he was chosen by God's sovereign purpose because what's he say in verse 7? Here's the quote from Genesis 21, 12. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his physical offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be Named, but the word can also be translated, and I think in New King James it is, called. He's saying, look, you got all sorts of kids running around here. Some, according to your fleshly thinking, one, according to my promise, I choose that one. I call that one,
1: according to my divine purpose. Now,
0: that's Isaac. Who is not mentioned in this by name is Ishmael. And yet he is described by the children of the flesh. Let's talk about that. Ishmael was the child conceived by Abraham's personal choice and fleshly efforts through Hagar. Ishmael was the child conceived by Abraham's personal choice and fleshly efforts through Hagar. Now, you've got to understand, What's going on? God comes and sovereignly says, you are going to have a child. It's going to be a child of my promise. It's going to be a child that's conceived in my power. And it's a child that I choose according to my purpose. And then God does what he he always does with us. He delayed the fulfillment of that promise. Why does he do that? To test and prove our faith. How did Abraham do on the test? He failed. Why? Because, dare I say it, his wife and him. It was Adam and Eve all over again. The wife says, look, this isn't going too well. God's not coming through. I'm getting frustrated. You're getting frustrated. Let's hurry. Let's help God out. You ever done that? You know, here's God's word. I'm going to help him out. You know, I mean, oh, in Bible college, guys would take you know, you know, God's here's God's promises, and then pick on some poor girl and say, "Now I'm going to help God by telling you He's told me that you're the one." Okay? I mean, that that happens in Bible college. Is that Todd probably pulled. Did he pull that on you, Kim? No, you wouldn't let it, you wouldn't let it. that. Ha- but it happens, doesn't it? Oh yeah, and, and and you women don't get too proud because they the women ran around doing the same thing, helping God out with His promises, right? Okay so here's what Hagar or, uh, Sarah says. Sarah says, look, it ain't working between you and I. I've got this handmaid here. Why don't you take Hagar and uh, conceive a child with her? It'll be ours because that's the way their cultural laws were. It would have been theirs by legal right And Abraham so hey, uh, hey, uh, Sarah was wrong to, su- to tempt and suggest but just like Adam, uh, Abraham was wrong to listen to his wife when she's not speaking. According to God's word, and so Abraham disobeyed, conceived a child, Ishmael, and offered Ishmael up to God, and said, "Here we helped, uh, we helped you." And what did God say? God says, "I don't need your help." You know, in a sense, you know what He said. He said what Jesus said. I can have children out of rocks. This womb is barren, and it's too old, and your seed is too old. But I'm God. And in a a year's time, I will return and my power, my promises and my purposes will be accomplished. And so that's when he said, that's when he says in Genesis 21, 12, he so, you know, because Abraham and them are, are they're They're trying, you know, Abraham's trying to offer up Ishmael. God, take him, take him like that's not my choice. I didn't choose him. And then. Trouble comes between Ishmael and Isaac, and Sarah says, "Get rid of Ishmael." Now, that, that, don't you love it when you, when you, when God gives you what you wanted, but wasn't what He wanted, and and now you're saying, "I wanted that, but now I don't want it." Get rid of him. And Abraham felt bad for Ishmael, and that's when God came in and said, "Look, Abraham, send him out, get rid of him. It's okay. Uh, I'll take care of him. You don't worry about Ishmael." And and He was going to bless Ishmael. And he, t- he made a great nation of him, the Arab nation. So he made a great nation of him. He said, I'll take care of him, but through Isaac, through Isaac shall your offspring be called. So here's the point, and it's in your notes. The true child of God was a child of God's purpose, God's promise, God's power. It was God's choice, not Abraham's choice. It was the child that God conceived, not the child that Abraham conceived what counts in the fulfillment of God's saving promise is grace, not race. Let's all say that together. What counts is grace, not race. That's why we got missionaries coming for and going to all parts of the world, because what counts is not what country you're born in, but that the grace of God of the gospel is sent to all peoples. What counts is grace, not race. But also, and I stole that from someone, but I came up with this one. Your paternity does not guarantee your eternity, so let's quote mine. I like that one too, so let's say that together. Your paternity does not guarantee your eternity. you know, I think mine's as good as Tom Wright's, you know I mean I think that's you know, but that's probably the only thing of mine that's as good as Tom Wrights. so let's look at that. Does that make sense? That's the first reason you say well let me let me give you one more verse John one eleven John one eleven listen to this, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his name and believed in his name. He gave the right, come the children of God. He gave the right, come the children of God who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of. Oh, help me out, class, but of God
1: same point why has god's word not failed because it's not based on physical birth
0: second reason god's word has not failed his saving promises are being filled, fulfilled because it does not fulfill, god does not fulfill his saving promises by potential behavior so we got physical birth now we got
1: potential behavior because here's the reality
0: his example has some loopholes see because what people look for are loopholes let's get honest you look for loopholes well i know god says he doesn't like this but maybe i can get in this way so here's the reality look at verse 10 uh, he knows all about loopholes. So notice what he says. And let's read 10 through 13. Because here's his second uh, here's his second uh, reason. Notice verse 10. And not only so. In other words, what he's saying is, and not only Isaac and Ishmael, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. See why that naming up there, I think, is better translated calling because it's all about calling and choosing in this passage. She was told the older will serve the younger as it is written. And now comes one of the hardest phrases in all the Bible to explain. And accept. Jacob I loved, but Esau I what? I hated. Okay, here's the reason. And if you can't see it in that, I mean, it's all over that passage. God doesn't fulfill his saving promises by potential behavior he sees by looking down through history or by his omniscience. It's nothing potential in you that he causes him to choose. Now, here's the loophole. Here's what people could say. Yeah, God chose Isaac, but you got to understand what he had the choices he had. Ishmael's mother was an Egyptian pagan. Isaac's mother was a true Jew, a physical Jew, a godly Jew, you know, who still made foolish decisions. We do. Sarah was better than Hagar's, Therefore, Isaac was better than Ishmael. That's why he chose him. Also, Isaac was born due to their parents' faith in God's promises. Yeah, they blew it with Ishmael, but they did it right with Isaac. Therefore, because they believed God's promises and Isaac was born, therefore, Isaac is better than Ishmael, who was born not of faith, but of unbelief, fleshly planning, foolish decisions. On it goes. Plus, Paul... That Genesis 21, 12, that declaration came after each boy was born and they were grown up and having fights with each other. So I really think there was something about the potential behavior after they were born that made God choose Isaac over Ishmael. So he says, well, let's take it down a generation. We've gone from Abraham. We've gone to Isaac. Now let's look at uh, Jacob the son of Isaac, Jacob and his wife, Rebekah. Or I'm sorry, uh, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. Yes, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. I knew this morning, I'm like, Lord, help me not confuse these names. So let's look at the example from God's word. So in these verses, the example from God's word is this. Jacob is chosen out of love. Esau is given over to wrath. Now, that, I just summarize those verses as simple as I can. Jacob is chosen out of love. Esau given over to wrath. Let me give you three reasons, 10, 11, and 12. The, the, the guy is so systematic in this passage. Here's, the, here's why he chooses. This is the ultimate example that God's prom, prom, uh, purposes are accomplished by unconditional election. For this reason, the physical birth of the two boys was identical. Why? They had the same mama. They had the same mama. So you say, okay, you had two mamas before. Now you got one mama. So you can't say one mama's better than the other mama because it's the same mama. Okay? Not only that, look at verse 10. They were conceived by the same man, and get this, at the same time, and get this, with the same seed.
1: What's that make them? Twins. Good, John. Attention. All right, are you getting this idea?
0: One egg from the same womb, one sperm from the same man, conceived at the same time. We call that twins. What's the difference between them?
1: Ain't much. All right.
0: Now. The potential behavior of the two boys was not the issue. Verse 11, you say, well, yeah, but, you know, Esau was that ruddy, hairy man's man and and Jacob was the soft, home, mama's boy. There were differences. But notice what he says in verse 11. The potential behavior of the two boys was not the issue. They were not yet born. They had not done anything good or bad. Do you see that in verse 11? So it wasn't before it was before they came out before the ruddy red you know Esau means red, so out come this hairy red baby who I'm sure they thought was beautiful, even though he was probably ugly as sin, and that's just a pastoral thing you get taught every baby's beautiful, no matter how wrinkly crunchy they are, because everyone's beautiful, everyone's beautiful. So it was before they were born, but notice what he says. They had not done anything good or bad. So it's not because, well, Jacob is someday going to believe and Esau is going to be profane and and throw out his birthright and, and disregard the blessing. Because to be quite honest, look at these two guys. If you'll read the story, Esau's behavior in a lot of ways is better than Jacob's. So who is the good? See, I what I love, he doesn't say before Jacob had done anything good or Esau had done anything bad. He says, before they had done anything good or bad, because they both did good and bad. And God's not up there saying, okay, let me weigh out, oh, Jacob's a little better. Yeah, he's a deceptive cuss, but you know, Esau, he profane and, and threw away his birthright for a good meal. And he's saying, No, that's not the issue. The issue's not behavior. Thirdly, the purposeful basis for the difference between the boys is made clear in verses 12 through 13 verse 12. She was told now that's significant. Who's doing the telling God who's doing the choosing God. What is the basis upon which he's doing the choosing? They haven't been born. It's not their potential behavior. There's only one basis and he makes it as clear as day. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election choice might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Now, the first thing she's told is the older will serve the younger. That's from Genesis 25:23. That goes against everything culturally. Who deserve to be? the chosen one esau because even though they were twins do you remember the story he stuck his hand out and they tie the midwife tied a string around his wrist and then he pulled it back in because jacob was in there in the womb yanking him back and, uh, and and so they knew who came out first and then therefore he should be the one but god's saying look i don't do this based on what humans think i don't do this based on cultural tradition I do this based on my sovereign choice, and even though Jacob's the younger, he's the one that's going to lead serve. He's the one I choose. And then finally, in verse 13, she was told, and who? God told her. And let me just say this here. Now we're getting really freaky here. If you read back in Genesis 25, 33, here's what it says. And the Lord said to her, so it's very clear, it's God. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Some people say what God's doing is it's prophetic foreknowledge. He's predicting. He's predicting what will happen. In other words, look, I know the future, and here's how it's going to work out, and I'm telling you ahead of time. Prophetic predicting. But I would say to you, I am convinced based on Scripture, and I'm trying to show you why, based on Scripture, that this is not prophetic foreknowledge predicting. It's sovereign predetermining. He's not saying this will happen because I see it's going to happen. He's saying this has happened because I'm determining it to happen right now. I am choosing one over the other. Why do you say that, Chris? Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. As it is written. As it it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. See, he doesn't say, they're going to serve this way because I see down through the annals of history, this is what they're going to do. He says, this is going to happen because I chose one and I didn't choose the other.
1: Okay, now I got to explain that five minutes. The quote
0: is from Malachi 1, 2 through 4. The, 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 the quote is from Malachi 1, verse 2, but let's read 2 through 4. So turn your Bibles to Malachi 1. Malachi 1, 2 through 4.
1: He's quoting. And what's happening in
0: Malachi is the same thing that's going on here. In Malachi, several thousand years after these kids are born, Jacob has become the nation of Israel. Esau has become the nation of Edom. Israel's enemies, though they are related by blood. Israel has been disobedient to God's covenant love and God's covenant promises and has gone into exile and now has returned with a small remnant. But has that remnant learned their lesson? No. What does the remnant do? No less than 100 years after coming back from exile. So this is Malachi. Malachi. Less than a 100 years after just being thrown into exile, graciously forgiven, graciously restored, you know what they're doing? They're back to their old tricks. And they think, because we're Israel, and because we worship at the rebuilt temple, Zechariah, remember we went through Zechariah? Because we worship at the temple, we can live any old way we want. God will be pleased with us. And Malachi says, In fact, they're having God's judgment on them so much that they're saying, I thought God loved us." God says to them, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you? And one of the saddest things working with
1: Christians is when they, as profess to be Christians, live in sin. That's the question. How is God loved? How is God?
0: answer is saved you. And in your sin, though he disciplines you still his child, you ought to be gracious.
1: I have a love. Don't blame me. Blame him. But notice
0: what he says. But how have you loved us? And here's his answer. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? In other words, you two were twins, Edom and Israel. You are twins, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country. And then look at this. And the people with whom the Lord is angry ever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, "Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel that's how I love now here's as simple as I can say. and I do not, I, this is what I, this is the best I can say right now. disagree, that's fine, but you disagree based on scripture at the heart what love and hate means in scripture I, this I absolutely know at the heart what love and hate, when used together in scripture like this, it means choose when I love something. I I love this water bottle. I like it. When I don't, I hate it because I I reject it. I don't want it. Okay? Now, some people try to say, and I'm not convinced of this, that what he's saying there is, I love Jacob more than I love Esau. Because Jesus himself said, if you're going to come after me, you must hate mother and father. Right? And there it is a greater and lesser love. In other words, you must love the Lord more Love him and hate your parents and all other earthly attachments, meaning you love them less. That's not what's going on here. He's not saying to Jacob and Esau, Jacob, I love you more than I really love Esau. What he's saying is this is used elsewhere in Scripture, and I don't have time to develop it. But elsewhere in Scripture, the love and hate is simply this. What I love, I choose, and what I hate, I reject. Now, it's not a hate based on, like, you know, sometimes you get up and you're angry. And you say, you know, I hate the Chiefs. They're doing so bad. Or I hate our coach. It's not based on that. Because why? Because I'm not getting, you know, I I, I kid uh, my daughter. She says, uh, uh, when if, if she wants me to do something and I don't do it, she says, you're so mean. Now, you got to understand, you know what she's saying? You know, she doesn't say she hates me. But, I mean, what she's saying, you're so mean. But why is she saying that? Things aren't going her way. And I and, and I knew that, but she didn't know it. So one day I catch her. And something, an inanimate object, doesn't work the way she wanted it to work. And she said, You're so mean. And I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. I I caught it. And we laugh about that now because and I just kid her because she'll still tell me I'm so mean when and I said, Amber, what you that you're not saying that I'm mean. What you are saying is life is not going the way you want it. Because you said it to that in, and I forget what it was, but bottle wouldn't open. Or... Anyway, I thought that was funny. Same idea here, in a sense. The idea is that I choose you, and I do not choose the other. Now, so what is the foundation? Number three, because God does fulfill his saving promise, there's only one answer to this passage, unconditional election. It's not physical birth. It's not potential behavior. There's only one answer. What is the basis upon which God fulfills his promises? It's unconditional election. And he gives an explanation. And that explanation is all found in verse 11. And here it is. Let me give it to you. God fulfills his saving promises by his sovereign choice. In order that his purpose will stand, in order that his purpose will stand, notice what he says: in order that the purpose of election might continue, remain, abide, or stand, God's word has not failed, His purposes stand. There are two opposite statements of the same thing, and here's the bottom line: He did not choose us because we chose him or because we choose him. He chooses us, so we will choose. He chose Jacob. Not on any basis of birth or behavior, he chose him so that Jacob would one day wrestle with him. And and he did not choose Esau based on the same criteria, nothing in that person, but his own sovereign choice. Now, I like what Spurgeon said, who was an ardent soul winner and lover of people. And here's what he said. I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I think we can all say amen. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have had chosen me afterwards. Can we not all say that? And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with his special love. Can we not agree with that? So I am forced to accept the great biblical doctrine of unconditional election. Number two, God fulfills his saving promises by his unconditional choice. His unconditional choice. Look at verses 6 and 7, not by race, but grace. Look at verse 8, not by our humanity, but God's saving promise. Look at verse 11, not by works, but by the God who calls. Look forward to verse 16, not by human choice or effort, by God who shows mercy. Listen, God's word has not failed. His saving promises have not veered off course by the hard hearts of the unbelieving because ultimately it's not based on physical birth, potential behavior, but God's unconditional election. Now, that's the chart I put on the board last week. I filled it out a little more if I explained it. There's the essence of the verses that we just read. I say just this last thing. God's saving promises have not failed. His promises stand. So number one, be thankful. Listen, you should be filled with a heart overflowing with thanks this morning if you've accepted Jesus as Savior because of this. Apart from God's sovereign choice, no one would be saved, including you and me and many others who are still appointed to eternal life but have yet to hear and believe the gospel. We ought to be filled with thanksgiving because it was all of him and none of me. Secondly, we ought to be humbled. We ought to leave here as humble. We ought to be here so humble eating dust. Why? Because we did not choose him, but he chose us by grace through Jesus Christ. And I can't give you one good reason why he did it. Found in That's humble. But it's also motivating. Be bold. Share the gospel of Christ with all people, for God has unconditionally chosen many from every tribe, language, nation, and people group to believe the good news. Here's the good news that there are elect people in Mongolia who do not know it and will not know it until the piles get there and preach the gospel. Amen? That's encouraging that no matter how much opposition they meet, God's sovereign choice will be accomplish through the preaching of the gospel i don't know about you but this fills me with awe last week my good friend pastor friend
1: hung himself in his I'll tell you this week god's sovereign hope
0: god's sovereign control god's sovereign choice i've had an opportunity to witness to my neighbor Opportunity to think through my own heart and realize, you know what? Not based on my friend's last act. His final act on earth does not determine his eternal destiny because it's not based on potential behavior. It's based on what Christ has done. Didn't deny his faith, though he couldn't trust his Lord. I'm telling you what, these truths are the truths that will get you through the darkest valley. Embrace. A sovereign, merciful God. He is
1: worthy. Of his entire life, Father, we thank you that uh,
0: that your your ways are beyond our ways. I don't pretend to understand all this, but I understand it enough. It is your word. It is your will, and so I surrender to it. I pray we all would. And I pray if there's any here that are not sure of their salvation, you're wondering. Am I elect? answer is very simple. Place your faith in Christ. All who place faith in Christ are His chosen. And they are called according to His purpose. And they will be justified and they will be glorified. So, Father, I pray that we would be bold, humble, and thankful. We would go this week knowing God has appointed those to believe in all of these countries And that our dear missionary brothers and sisters can overcome every opposition, knowing there is a sovereign God accomplishing his saving purpose in spite of overwhelming unbelief by so many. So we put our faith and hope in you. In Jesus' name.